This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. For those of you who are newer to Res, Pastor Michael Wright is the senior pastor at True Freedom in uh, the Oak Park neighborhood. And if you were here at the Easter Vigil and you remember Israel's uh, crossing the Red Sea, anybody remember that? Um, so those were our friends at True Freedom, and that was utterly amazing. Um, and Pastor Michael and I, and actually our, our churches have been really good friends for the last seven to 10 years, and we are so grateful for their partnership in the gospel. So there we go. Uh, let's give a warm welcome to Pastor Michael. Amen. God bless you. I don't know what we're going to do with that guy. I, I don't know. Amen. 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 Let me give you a little secret. I'm, I'm going to give you a little secret. You know why uh, that the, uh, the preacher many times in, in the black church, you know why the congregation responds back? You know why? It's, thank you. See, that's response. I like that. But the reason why they respond is so that they don't fall asleep. <laughs> and the, that's, the, that's the secret. That's the secret. Sometimes when I preach, I'm so boring. Sometimes when I preach, I almost fall asleep while I'm preaching. So, uh, no, seriously. I, I'm, uh, especially when you worked all night, you get up and preach. But I thank God for just being here today. It is amazing being able to come and, and share the Word of God with the people of God here at this church. Uh, I have to reiterate how much fun we had on last week at the Easter Vigil. That was, that was fun. That was just fun. That was fun. All of the talented people, from the people who handled the sound system to uh, the people who danced and and they had my wife up there dancing, you know. Now, many of you all don't know, my wife is 50, 50, well, she'll be 51 this year. She looks like she's 35, she really does. My wife is, she looks real young. Uh, but she had to put a little Bengay on her legs <laughs> after, after, after dancing and stuff. She, she did, she had to. So I'm just letting you know, we had fun. But take it easy on us next time, okay? Take it easy, take it easy. And uh, Dre T, I was gonna bring Dre T to sing again this Sunday. Y'all would've loved that, but uh, Dre T's a handful, he's a handful. I don't know if I could've handled it, but, uh, but I just thank God. We had so much fun, as we always do when we come here. I believe that when we worship together, it should be a joy. It should be a joy, and, and, and joy is fun, and joy is, you know, peaceful. And I, I thank God for being able to come to this church and feel at home, and really feel at home. Well, God bless you. If you don't mind, I'd just like to say a brief prayer. Father, I thank you so much because you are good. Lord, you are so good to us. Many times we don't recognize your goodness because some bad things happen in our life, and we can't see it right away. But help us to realize that all things work together for the good to them that love the Lord and are the called according to your purpose. So, Father, we pray today that you bless this message. Lord, let there be a word from you. We pray today that you come in and do a great work in the hearts of the people so that the people can go forth and be everything you've called them to be. Let them be blessed. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. The text we're going to talk about today, and um, I have to, as soon as I, I preach right after this, I have to go and be at our service at uh, 12 o'clock. So I'm not going to give you the abbreviated version, but I am going to hurry up. Uh, but in looking at the text today, we're going to come from the book of John, and you've, you've read it. You're clear, 19, uh, starting with the 19th verse in the 20th chapter. We see something unique that happened, for this is the transition of the church, the true transition or the beginnings of the church coming from old Judaism into the birth of the church. Jesus has risen from the dead. We find in this text, though, the pretext to verse 19, where Mary is going to the tomb to pay her final respects and to dress the body and to do different things that you do uh, for your deceased loved one. And by this time, she had cried and so many tears she had shed for her son dying on that old rugged wooden cross. I just could imagine seeing my child, just seeing my child, seeing one of my boys hanging on a cross innocently for something that they did not do. I could just imagine what it would be like for a woman seeing the child that she birthed. Oh yeah, it was Jesus, the Son of God, but I mean, that was still her baby up there. Come on now, that, that's your child up there. I don't care how many miracles you do. I don't care how, many, how much water you walk on. I don't care how much bread that you fed thousands of people with from a little bit. I'm here to tell you that was still her baby up there on that cross. And there was a uniqueness in the relationship that she had. And now he's up there looking mangled and, and it doesn't even look recognizable. So I'm sure she cried an ocean of tears before this moment. So now she's going down. And what a shock it was to see that the tomb where they buried her, her son is now empty. She doesn't even have the chance to have this last gratification to dress her child's body when she gets there. Can you imagine how she would have felt? How would you feel going to the cemetery and uh, you see some of your loved ones, maybe a parent, a grandparent, or even a child? How would you feel going to the cemetery and the grave, the grave marker was gone? How would you feel knowing that the remains of your loved one was moved somewhere and you didn't even know? This is how she felt. And just to abbreviate the story, she left with tears, crying, and she ran into someone who she thought was the gardener or the groundskeeper. And she asked him, where did you put him? Where did you put my son? Where, where did you put him? Do you know, do you have any insight? And then what happened? Jesus was the one she was talking to. She was so filled with grief, she didn't even recognize him, but Jesus was the one she was talking to. And he spoke a word into her life and just said, Mary. Isn't it something? Jesus has a way of calling your name the way that no one else can call your name. He called her name, and then she recognized him. She said, Master. She didn't call him baby. She didn't call him honey. She didn't call him, that's my son. No, she said, master. 
because she really knew who he was. She knew. If no one else knew, Mary knew. Master, that was him. So she called him, and obviously, what would any mom do? She reached to grab him. He said, oh, don't touch me yet. Not yet. Not yet. I haven't ascended to my father. Let me handle my business. Don't, don't, don't dilly-dally right now. I got some things I got to do. Well, he, he, he leaves, and Mary tells the other disciples, because Peter came running down, and John came running down. They both didn't see the body that was there. But Jesus, well, Jesus was gone, and the disciples went back, and Mary told them, look, I've seen him. I've seen him. I'm telling you, I've seen him. I've seen him. I'm sure they, I'm sure many of the disciples probably thought he was just some crazy women who were delusional at the time, being emotional at the time because there was no one in the grave. I'm sure they thought that because the reality was it hadn't sunk in yet what the words that Jesus had told them, had said. Do you remember Jesus when he told them previously? He said, if you destroy this temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. He wasn't talking about the temple. He was talking about his body. Do you remember when he talked about, listen, I'm going to be just like the sign of Jonah, going down into the belly of the fish for three days. They didn't get it yet. It wasn't resonating yet. Even though Mary had a testimony, they had not experienced it for themselves. And so it didn't really resonate. So we see in the text reading that later on that day uh, that they were in fear. They were in shock and fear. And they were in fear because of the Jews or those individuals, those rel religious leaders who were going, or I should say, who had murdered their Lord, and now they were afraid that they too would be murdered under the same auspices. Think about this. If you saw your leader, the one that you put hope and trust in, and you followed behind and you gave up all to follow, and the religious leaders, Jesus had already told them, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. He had already kind of initiated and said, listen, this cup that I drink, you're going to drink too. So all these words are in the back of their mind. They weren't listening to Mary's testimony. They didn't care about what, what Mary had said. What was in their eyes was that mangled body of Jesus on that cross. And they thought that that too would be them. All for naught. All for naught. Three years. Three years we followed behind him. Three years we followed close. We denied family. We denied friends. We followed you, and now you're dead. The only image that they had in their mind was this mangled body of Christ on the cross. Don't you remember what Isaiah said? And Isaiah talked about how that when you looked upon him, you couldn't even tell if he was a human being or not. His face, he had been beaten so bad. When you looked upon him, you couldn't tell his gender. They pulled his beard from his face. It was amazing mangle of flesh hanging there, lifeless on the cross. That's the image that they saw. That's the image. Nails in hand, nails in feet, pierced inside, back, just one strip of meat hanging off, face beaten, bludgeoned. It was a horrible, a horrible thing. And you know what they had? They had fear on the inside, fear that they too would follow that path. They didn't hear no testimony of, of some crazy woman talking about, he's risen from the dead. No, fear, 
was on the inside of them, and it gripped them, and it caused them. The Bible says in verse 19 of chapter 20, it says that they locked the door. They locked the door because of that fear. Understand something when it says that. I, just, just, just picture hypothetically all of the locked doors in our hearts because of fear. Some of you all have been in poor relationships, bad relationships. You've been in horrible situations. And now it's hard to have a healthy relationship because you still are operating in fear. You'll never want to go through that again. Some of you have been through abusive situations. And you say, I never want to go through that again. I'm locking the door. Can't come in. Nope, can't come in. Some of you all have invested money in bad places. And you say, no, no, I'll never invest again. I'll never take a chance again. I'll never do that again. I'll never, I'll never, I'll never. How many of you all have been there? Maybe not specifically with abuse or maybe not with money, but there's something that you, you've locked the door of your heart. And you said, I'll never go there or I'll never let anybody into that space again. Well, this was the disciples at this moment. They locked the doors. I don't know if it was just because of they didn't want to experience that again or they were just scared for their own skin. Well, here, Jesus has a way of getting inside of your locked doors. Jesus has a way of appearing in rooms and spaces that you thought were closed off. Jesus has a way of getting into that corridor of your heart that you had reserved for yourself, you, yourself, and I. You know that space, that closed, locked door where you said, I'll never let anybody penetrate again. Jesus has a way. And when he comes, though, here's the deal. This is what you got to understand. When Jesus comes, he comes bringing things to get you up out of fear. He comes bringing gifts to get you up out of those crazy places where you're in. Some people in here are in crazy places. Um, listen to me. This is just what I feel in my heart right now. I feel that there are people due to circumstances that are beyond your control. You're just in a crazy place. Maybe you're in a place of fear. Maybe you're in that desert place. Maybe you're in a dry place. Maybe you're in a place where your health is failing. Maybe you're in a place where your relationships are failing. Maybe you're in a place where your money is failing. Maybe you're in a place where you're single and you said, God, I thought by I was time I was 35, I'd be married and now I'm walking through this life by myself. I just talked with a lady just on the other day, just, just a few, uh, just last Wednesday. And she came to me to our Bible study and she was, she was in tears. Literally, she was in tears. And she was crying because she was 42 years old. And she said, I'm single and I'm by myself and I am afraid. I'm afraid of what's going on in this world and I don't have anybody to stand with me. I am by myself. I don't have any family. I don't have really a lot of friends. I come to church, but I go home to myself. And pastor, I am afraid. I'm afraid of just being by myself, and this is how it's going to be. What happens if I die? Will anybody care? What happens if I get sick? Will anybody come to visit me? Do I make a difference in life? Yes, that's real. And there are people in this room that some of you all are gripped, maybe with not that specifically, but you're gripped with some type of fear that has caused you to lock down. Well, here Jesus comes, and he comes in that locked place. And when he comes, 
the first thing he says is peace be unto you. Peace, peace be unto you. You see, that's what you need many times. You need to settle down. You need to have some peace. You need to calm down and know that Jesus is present. If you're a Christian, go ahead and just be one. If you're going to be a Christian, just go ahead and live like one. If you're going to be a Christian, go ahead and just trust the Lord. Peace, peace he gives. I thank God that that's one of the promises he gives to us. When we keep our minds stayed on him, he will keep us in perfect peace. Well, not only did he give peace, those saints, when he gave the peace to them, when he spoke peace to them, he gave them an assurance. What was the insurance that he gave them? He gave them this confirmation or assurance by saying, now come, look at my hands. Come on, come on, it's me, it's me. I know, look at my hands. Look, look at the nail prints in my hands. Come on, look down at my feet. I'm gonna give you the assurance to let you know that it really is me. Yeah, look at my feet. Look at these nails in my feet. Look at the nail prints in my feet. And they weren't just nails, carpenter's nails. These were spikes going through his feet. These were spikes going through his hands or wrists. These, they, he was pierced in his side. Come on, take a look. Come on, take a look. See the scar. He gave them the assurance. This is what many of us need today. Yes, we have peace, but along with peace comes an assurance that he will be there in the worst times. He will be there for you when you're dealing with the worst circumstances, when your husband walks away, when your wife walks away, when your children get on drugs or something negative happens that you can't control. He says, I give you blessed assurance that I will be there even when no one else will be there. I will stand for you 100%. But not only does he give him peace and give you assurance, but what he gives also was a sense of purpose. Because when you look down in the 21st verse, he says, peace I give you. As my Father has sent me, I also send you. He gave them a sense of purpose. He had already sent them previously. He had already sent them before. You remember when he sent them with the 70. You remember when he sent them to do different assignments or different tasks but he reiterated how he, had, he was going to send them again. He says, I send you. You are not purposeless. Let me tell you something. I don't care how much Bible you know. I don't care if you don't know Genesis from Revelation. I don't know, you may not know all of these things, or you may not have the greatest education. You may not be the most articulate speaker. You may not be the most this or the most that in people's eyes, but I'm here to tell you that you still have a purpose. You have a purpose, and God says, if you are breathing, if you have blood running warm in your veins, if you have the activity of your limbs, if you are in your right mind, God says, I have given you a purpose. I don't care how old you are or how young you are. Some people say, well, I'm too young. And then other people say, well, I'm too old. And I can't do this or I can't do that. I'm here to tell you the devil is a liar. You have a purpose, and if you can move, if you can speak, if you are breathing, you have a reason for being. Never let the devil lie to you. Never let the devil say you're worthless. Never let the devil say you're not enough. You are enough in Jesus because all you need is Jesus. Firstly, realize God don't need you. Let's get that straight. He chooses 
to use us. So God really doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. And if you're still, if you're still alive, and I think I heard a few people say amen, so somebody in here is alive. <laughs> so if you're alive, God says, I want to use you. You may never preach. You may never get behind the microphone. You may never play an instrument. You may never process with the clergy. You may never do any of that. But I'm telling you, there's a reason for you being alive. God says, I want to get the glory out of your life. But if you are paralyzed in fear, then you will never go forward. Yeah. You remember? Because remember what Paul told the young pastor Timothy? You remember? He said, man, God, God's not giving us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. You know what he also told Timothy later on in that passage? He said, now join me in my suffering. You don't be afraid. Join me in my suffering as we share the gospel. You know what he was telling him in actual in common terms? He was saying Paul knew that he was going to die. But he was saying, join me in my suffering as I go forth in the gospel, because I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach until they kill me. And I'm telling you, you preach too until they kill you. You preach. You preach until they kill you, until they take you down, Timothy. Yes, we're going to be persecuted. Yes, we're going to be prosecuted. Yes, they're going to come after us. But God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. Stop there, power. Power is that ability to overcome any obstacle that is put in front of you. Power. God said, I've given you power. Somebody say power. power. See, God has given you power to overcome that which the enemy has put in front of you. So if there's an obstacle, God said, I've given you the power to knock it down. If there's an obstacle, I've given you the power to get over it. If there's an obstacle, I've given you the power to get through it. I've given you power. Somebody say power. But also, he said, I've given you love. This is what love is. God says, see, these are the opposite. This is the opposite of fear. Fear, is, see, this is the corollary that, that Paul was trying to say. When you have fear in your life, you, you, you don't have, you're, you're operating not in power, you're operating in weakness. But then he goes on to say love. Love always puts the other person first. So when you are afraid, you're thinking more about yourself than you are the other person that's sitting in front of you that you need to minister to. You're concerned about what people are going to say about you. You're afraid to go forth in ministry, however that looks, however that looks, whether it be from the clergy or whether it be a Bible study on your job, whether it be a prison ministry, whether it be just talking to your next door neighbor, you are afraid because of what people will say about you instead of you loving them saying, I don't care what people say, I got good news and I've got to share it with this brother, with this sister, with this neighbor, with this friend, and I know they might look at me funny, but it's not about me. If you operate in fear, it's all about you, but when you operate in love, it's all about them. So saints, he said, I've given you love, but also a sound mind or strong discipline. <clears throat> now, when he says this here, a sound mind, how many of you all, when you've been in fear, you've done crazy things? No, I want to see your hand. You see? Uh-huh. Yep, yep, yep. You said crazy things. See, when you're afraid, you're not operating with a straight mind. 
I've done some things, and I, I tell it all the time. Sometimes, when I, the first time I came here, you know, I probably said, I don't know what I said the first time I preached here. I probably said some crazy stuff. And my wife always tells me all the crazy things that I say. And, and I said, baby, it wasn't that I was trying to say some crazy stuff. I was just nervous getting up here preaching to all these white folk. I didn't know what I was doing. So, so, so here, I, I, you, op, you say crazy things sometimes when you operate in fear. Well, God is saying, no, that's not what I gave you. So here, Jesus comes, gives them peace. He gives them assurance. And then he gives them purpose by saying, I'm sending you. But not only that, he equips them because he breathes on them, the Bible says, and he gives them the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit giving them the grace that they need to do what they could not do themselves. God gives you power. See, the thing about it is some of you all have purposes that are way beyond you. They're way beyond you. And you're the perfect person that God wants to use. Because so many people that are degreed and equipped and Harvard University educated and, and you know, all this kind of stuff, they know the engineering, they know the, the techno, technical stuff, and they, they're just so powerful, got three or four PhDs. Oh, yeah, they, they're, they're smart, but are they usable? You know, my thing is this. You can be a donkey. You could be a donkey, and God can use you. You better ask Balaam. Come on now. You, a, 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 a donkey can be used. So what I'm trying to say is, if a donkey can be used, why can't Michael Wright be used? If a donkey, a dumb animal can be used, why can't you be? Why can't we all be used? All it takes is a willing heart and a spirit that says, God, I'm going to give you everything because my mind is on you. Well, it goes on, does not just breathe the spirit of God on them, but in verse 23, it says, if you forgive sins, it will be forgiven. If you reject it, it'll be rejected. What he was saying in that text was not making them many messiahs. He was not making them deity where they could forgive sin. What he was saying was, listen, the church is just beginning, and there needs to be someone who has a moral compass to tell people what's right and to tell people what's wrong. So if you forgive, it will be forgiven. I'm giving you that type of authority. So what he's saying here is not only do I give you peace, and not only do I give you assurance, and not only do I give you purpose, not only do I give you the spirit, but I give you the authority to do it. In other words, I am backing you up. Now, that's a lot for someone who was just 10 minutes ago operating in fear, cowering in a corner with the doors locked because they thought the Jews were after them. That's a lot. That's a mouthful. But guess what? I don't feel too bad for them. I don't feel, I don't, I don't, I don't point the finger at them like saying they weren't Christian enough or they weren't strong enough. No. What I do say is that most of us are like that. Most of us are like that. Most of us have some type of insecurity. And you know what happened? That was the perfect example of someone who was not there, and his name was Thomas. Thomas wasn't there when Jesus initially showed up. In fact, it wasn't until eight days later when Thomas showed up for the disciples. Now listen to me. When you see the disciples, everybody wants to give a bad rap to Thomas. He even has a nickname, Doubting Thomas. But here's the deal. All 
all the disciples were doubting. All of them doubted. It's just that Thomas wasn't there initially to see the nail prints in the hand or the, or the nails in the feet. It was just Thomas showed up and he wasn't privy to that first meeting. Well, guess what? It gave them an example or an opportunity to be merciful to a Thomas. Why? Because Thomas was with the disciples for eight days. And I'm sure that Peter told him, no, man, for real, we saw Jesus. I'm sure John tried to pull him to the side. Man, I'm Jesus' best friend. I know what he looks like. That was, that was really Jesus. I'm sure Mary came. Look, I know what my baby looked like, and I know that was Jesus. Okay? I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure he took, but guess what? Unless the Lord breaks that heart down, it won't be broken. It will not be broken. All of the disciples, the fathers of the church that we thank God for now, they were pre can you picture if Peter was here preaching right now? Could you picture if John was preaching right now? Could you picture if Mary was reading the gospel here right? Could you picture if those apostles were here? Oh, they would preach with such fire and such zeal. But it does not matter. They preached to Thomas, who walked with Jesus for three years. And guess what? Thomas still didn't believe. So what happened? The Bible says that Jesus showed up again. I thank God that he showed up for me. I thank God that he showed up for me when I was broken and messed up and in my ways, living in the church, but the church not living in me. I'm so glad that he showed up for me. You ought to be glad that he showed up for you because you had doubt in your heart. You had doubt in your life. You, I know you're looking holy and pure right now, got your church clothes on and singing in the choir and, and playing the instruments and, and man, you got some nice robes on and all that stuff. Oh yeah, you look good now. But if we could just rehearse how it used to be before we came to faith, before that transition, before that conversion, somebody would tell you about Jesus, you didn't want to hear about it. You didn't want to know about it. You just wanted to live your life and go on with your locked door so you're not hurt again. Well, here, Thomas is here. But what does Jesus do? He showed up, and what's the first thing he said? Peace. Peace, Thomas. Let's be merciful on the Thomases in the room, because all of us were Thomases. He says, peace. And then that's all Thomas needed to hear. And then what did he say? He said, come on, come on, come on. Ah, ah, ah. I, know, I know you believe now. Okay, hold on. Take a look. Come on. Look at the nail prints here. Come, come on, come on. Ah, ah, that's not enough. Come on, reach into my side. Don't just look at it. I want you to touch it. I want you to experience this. Touch it. Come on. Feel. How's that feel, Thomas? And then you know what Thomas did? He fell down on his knees. He said, my Lord and my God. Well, saints, that's what God wants to bring us to, where we bow to him in spite of all your fears, in spite of all the things that you've locked away from the Lord and said, I don't want, it. I don't want him to touch it, all the things God just wants you to say, my Lord and my God. But he told Thomas, he said, that's cool, Thomas. You're going to do great works for me, Thomas. But more blessed are those that have not seen but yet believe. I thank God because he was talking about us.
because none of us have seen Jesus. None of us have seen nails and hands and nails and feet. None of us, all we can do are reenactments of what actually happened. But yet you believe and you trust, and God is trying to build the trust and the faith in you today as you continue with this service and as you leave out of these doors and go different places. I don't want you, God doesn't want you to walk in fear. He wants to give you the peace and the blessed assurance that you are a man of God. You are a woman of God. God wants to use you. I don't care how old or how young. You are powerful in Christ. You have power. You have authority. You have a sound mind. You can walk in love. You can walk in truth. You can be what a Christian really ought to be, a true child of God. Amen. You don't have to walk in fear. Do me a favor. I want you to look at your neighbor. That's it. Look at him in the eyes. Come on, look them in the whites of their eyes. Look at them till they get nervous. <laughs> Say, neighbor. Come on, help me now. Say, neighbor. Don't walk in fear. Come on, tell them. Say, neighbor. Walk in peace. Walk in assurity. Walk in purpose. Walk in love. Be a Christian. God bless you, saints. God bless you.